Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast. Jody Heiss here with you and really, really looking forward to our time together. We have a very, very special guest, an appointee from President Trump uh, to the Department of Health and Human Services. Eric Hargan is the Deputy Secretary. We know it as HHS around here, uh, Health and Human Services. Originally, you are from the big town of Mounds in southern <laughs> Illinois, exactly. a town of what? Every bit of 800 people. 800 people. Amazing. More or less. More, more, or, less. more, more or, or less. less. Okay, we won't go there <laughs> yeah. uh, too far. You went on to graduate from both Harvard and Columbia, and you have served in positions at uh, Health and Human Services in a variety of different ways. Uh, and now, as Deputy Secretary, you actually pretty much run the show. You're the chief operating officer. uh, And this is, by the way, the largest department in the federal government. Is that correct? Right. Uh, Yeah, it's it's, uh, almost twice the size at this point of the Department of Defense, if you can believe it. Wow. Counting all the the money that we have in Medicare, Medicaid, FDA, National Institute of Health, and a lot of our other agencies. Amazing. Well, Eric, thank you so much. I know you've got a schedule that is uh, just... Uh, unbelievable if we were to go in the details, and it means a great deal uh, for us that you would take time to come join us today on the podcast. Thanks, thanks for hosting me. Well, let's begin. I, what I want to do, I want to get into, there's, a, there's an area of HHS that I'm sure most of our listeners are totally clueless of the type of things that you are involved with. And so I want to dive into that here in just a second. Before we get there, though, no doubt one of the biggest issues on everyone's mind, not only in America, but around the world, is the coronavirus right now. I know you guys are heavily involved in that. Without going into a lot of specifics, kind of what can you tell folks in terms of what HHS uh, are involved with right now? Well, we've, we've got a lot of our elements of HHS that are really central to our response. CDC, um, based there in Atlanta is really on top of this uh, right now in terms of monitoring it. Uh, they're really responsible for you know contagious disease monitoring and outbreak. They're doing a lot of surveillance on this, but we've got National Institutes of Health looking at it uh, in terms of analyzing the virus. Uh, it's a novel coronavirus is what, we, uh, is what it is. Uh, and we're interacting all the time with uh, China, with our Chinese counterparts, uh, and with really global health authorities and other countries Uh, to make sure that we monitor where it's going. We have a handful of cases in the United States right now uh, that have come in from China. And so we are paying very close attention uh, to the development of the disease, to see what the characteristics are, and to make sure that we can, you know, provide the best uh, effective response to this disease as it develops. Well, you know, it's times like this that people really uh, come to understand the, the value and the blessing that we have in this country to have the ability to resource agencies like HHS uh, and to, because there's no doubt uh, y'all will be very instrumental in whatever happens with this virus around the world, not only here in the United States. So thank you. We're often very much looked to, to help lead the response globally. So, you know, many thanks to the generosity of the taxpayers and of Congress for helping to fund these responses. They're really needed in times. Absolutely. Well, there's another aspect of the Department of Health and Human Services that I think probably the vast majority of people are totally unaware of. And I want to dive into this. Uh, earlier this month, I'm sure you're aware, uh, was uh, Religious Freedom Day. We celebrated that, and 
our office did some things uh, in that regard as well. Uh, and, and the Trump administration, of course, rolled out a host of policies to help in, in this area. But what I'm sure most peoples are not, people are not aware of is the involvement of HHS when it comes to religious liberties. So tell us a little bit of what is the involvement? Well, you know, uh, one, there's a lot of central issues that we have to deal with in terms of some in protecting the conscience rights of people who deal in healthcare. So, for example, people that in nurses, doctors, and other healthcare providers that do not want to participate in procedures that violate their conscience uh, and their religious liberty. Uh, procedures like abortion, sterilization, and other things where uh, the, the law provides clear protections for people in this case, but they've never really been enforced. So we have put in place a conscience rule uh, that we have that we put in place that really helps enforce 25 laws that were put on the books by Congress in years past, sometimes decades past. People don't really know that they have these rights, that they don't have to participate in these things. Also, we have a religious uh, conscience and religious liberty division now within our Office of Civil Rights that takes complaints from people that that now can call us and say uh, somebody's violating my conscience rights. We have a case right now, a Vermont medical center that uh, forced uh, a nurse to participate in an abortion. Uh, and so we're investigating that and the state of California, which is requiring uh, certain pro-life centers to give information about abortions, essentially providing referrals for them. We're investigating the state of California right now. These are these are the first of their kind, in many cases, uh, actions that we're taking to make sure that there's an effective protection for Americans and their conscience and their religious liberty. Uh, and that's, you know, that's central to what we need to do as a government. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, the way you connect the dots there, I think when, when people hear you say what you just said, they're probably kind of hitting themselves on the side of the head with an aha moment saying, well, of course, religious liberties and rights of conscience are closely related to health care issues right. because there are so many issues that involve moral choices and choices of, of conscience and religious conviction. Right. And, and, you know, so many people, when you think about the central role of religious and faith-based institutions in responding to so many issues, both in terms of medical issues and providing medical care and in terms of social services, uh, you see that it's really central. So, for example, uh, we have in many, we, we got a uh, South Carolina approached us uh, not long ago to say uh, we had a rule that was put in place in the waning days of the previous administration that said, seemed to say that religious or faith-based institutions couldn't participate fully in many of our social services. They couldn't get money from HHS uh, to carry out things like foster care or adoptions. Um, and, you know, we looked at the we looked at that rule and, and the governor asked us to look at it and there were problems with that rule that was adopted. Uh, and we have uh, given them a notice that we're not going to enforce that rule and we're taking actions to undo that, uh, that rule. Now, okay, let's go there. So why would the previous administration in essence, discriminate against people of faith when it comes to foster care and adoption? Well, they just, that, that was the policy of the previous administration, is that they believed that religious or faith-based providers, in some cases, were just inherently discriminating against certain groups that wanted to either adopt or provide foster care, 
But there are many religious providers that they, that's part of their mission. Uh, and it's part of our mission to make sure that the constitutional rights of people are protected in this case and that we have effective provision of foster care, loving homes, forever homes for these children. Uh, we now have gotten a record number of foster care adoptions uh, just last year in this country, which is tremendous. And the role of religious and faith-based providers in providing those loving homes and the access to those parents who are going to adopt those children is incredibly important. We have a new adoption initiative in our department. We're trying to get 125,000 children adopted. Wow. we got dozens of states that have signed on to help us out with this. But the central role in many cases, churches, religious groups, faith-based groups in that, it, it's just central to how that is done in this country. And in many cases... States and in the previous administration, the federal government had really put in place rules and doctrines that essentially discriminate against these groups. And they just don't want them providing that care. Um, you have to ask them for the right. motivation that they have uh, behind adopting these policies, but it's not something that this administration is going to do. Yeah, and I can't tell you the breath of fresh air that this whole thing is not only to me, but I hear it in my district all the time. People are so grateful for this administration recognizing that God matters, that faith matters, that what I believe matters, that having those beliefs protected in the public square really matters. And I think for a long time, I, I don't know if decades, plural, but for a long time, there seems to have been an increasing hostility towards people of faith in multiple ways in this country from the you know, the baker. And I mean, we've seen all these multiple different types of um, hostility that's been exhibited to people of faith. And to see this administration come in and say, no, the First Amendment applies to everyone in this country. Yes. It's it just an, it's an amazing breath of fresh it's air. It's the first freedom listed in the First Amendment. And so, and the fact that that is the constituting document of our government, that is what we have to obey in administering these programs. It is because of our fidelity to those rules and those guardrails. That's why people are comfortable and trusting, in our case, $1.3 trillion a year of wow. their money. Wow. And a lot of power and authority is entrusted into our hands. The bargain that we have to follow in that is that we obey the guard rules of the Constitution, of the of the the Bill of Rights and the rights to Americans that are enshrined in that Bill of Rights. Absolutely. And the first one listed is religion. Well, again, thank you so much for that. Now, you mentioned a few moments ago a new division, uh, the Conscious and Religious Freedom Division. Yes. Um, I'm sure, well, I mean, it's new, but even the just the concept of having a division like that in HHS speaks volumes. Uh, let's go back. You mentioned it a moment ago. What is why, why was it necessary for this to be created and what is the mission? Well, because we have a number of laws that we're supposed to administer and, you know, they are based. Congress has passed these laws over the decades and they've never really been enforced. Um, and so we had both. We have to put regulations in place that allow people to see what the rules are that we're going to follow in enforcing those laws. Uh, but we're going to enforce the laws uh, in any case, and that's that's how we're going to aim those. When we have 25 laws that are going to be enforced, we can't really depend on existing people that are already busy and the department to also enforce those. And we need to have people that are really trained 
and are dedicated to making sure that those rights and those, uh, those are being enforced by the department so that we have people that are doing those. We have people that look, that audit our programs to make sure we're not spending money. We have you know, people that, uh, that watch to make sure that privacy laws are obeyed. We make sure that all kinds of laws are obeyed, and we're going to make sure that these are as well. So what kind of authority does this division have? You know, you're talking about making sure that these laws are enforced. Does this have enforcement authority yeah. with them? What, what kind of authority do they have? Well, so it depends on the law. In, in question. So some of them are, some of them have more sort of spelled out stringency and some don't. And we're putting regulations in place uh, that, you know, we're obviously going to have to go through the process of making sure the regulations are in place sure. and that, and that if the, if it's, they're challenged, which they are, that the courts, you know, we get past sort of the courts uh, to be able to make, put these in place that'll really spell out exactly how we enforce these laws. But they range in a great matter from very sort of like, Laws that have a great degree of, uh, that don't have a lot of stringency or a lot of detail uh, to ones that have far more detail. So yeah, we have, we have the ability to investigate uh, and sort of ask for money back from people who violated it, uh, that, that have spent money that they shouldn't have spent, that have grants that they shouldn't have or administering them in the wrong way. So, so the point is, at the bottom line, you're taking this seriously. Yes. Uh, and, and so this division is to help keep it a priority, yes. uh, the protection of conscience and religious liberty. Yeah, and we have uh, people right now that we're engaging in settlement discussions right now with states and other institutions that are seeing that we're serious about these laws and are coming to the table and, and agreeing we're not going to allow these kind of practices to go on anymore. So that's really heartening is that we have people understanding when it's spelled out to them for the first time that they're violating a the law. By putting these right. by putting these uh, rules and restrictions in place over people of faith, people who have conscientious objection uh, to participating in these kinds of things. So we've got, I think, you know, it's it's early days for this. We're about you know a year plus into the foundation of this division, uh, but we have a lot of great people involved in it who are dedicated to making sure that that really, as I say, the first freedom is being uh, enforced and being taken seriously by HHS. That's awesome. Another thing that's been uh, rather amazing here just in the past several days is the fact that this president, uh, President Trump, is the first president ever to attend and speak at a March for Life. Right. I mean, that's uh, I, clearly, I think it marks him as the most outspoken pro-life president that we've ever had. And again, what many people I'm sure are not aware of is the involvement of HHS. You guys have been on the front line of this battle and defending life for a long, long time. Right. Explain a little bit of the role of HHS with life. Sure. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was there at mm -hmm. the march and, and I was there in the crowd watching him and cheering him on. Um, and it was a very, uh, I, I encourage everybody who hasn't seen this speech to download and take a look at what he said. And because it's very inspiring. It's inspiring to those of us who are in the administration to have somebody who's leading us, um, who is, you know, articulating for us the fact that we are going to protect uh, the unborn and we're going to protect the most defenseless. We do a lot of things on this front. If you saw at the very beginning, we did what, you know, Republican administrations have always done, the Mexico City rule. We're not going to participate. We're not going to sort of fund international organizations that promote abortion. 
uh, as a method of family planning, but we've done a lot more than that. We've strengthened the Mexico City rule, but we also went beyond that. Uh, we have done, for example, uh, we put a rule in place in our Title X program, that's a family planning program, that makes sure that uh, we don't have uh, sort of an unwitting uh, subsidy of abortion. That's a lot of what how we're looking, we're doing this. We're making sure that we don't mingle things that aren't meant to be mingled. So, for example, some abortion providers we believe had family planning parts, but they had been kind of commingling money that was for one for the program we fund. That's family mm -hmm. planning, and also maybe some of that money was subsidizing abortion. So we put a rule in place that said you can't sort of put these two functions together. And, and so the Title X rule came out. Uh, now some of the abortion providers have, have simply exited the program. Wow. They're simply not taking the money rather than go through the, I think for them, the trouble of obeying the law because we don't fund that money. There's, it's restricted from that. Doesn't, it's not money for abortion. Uh, it's money for family planning. And so we've separated those two functions, required our grantees to separate them. And that means that now people can be assured that their tax dollars are going to subsidize abortions because that's not the intent. And that's exactly how Congress structured the program. And we're going to carry the program out, faithfully execute the law. That's what we're supposed to do in the executive branch. Uh, beyond that, we also have allowed states that have restrictions on abortion to be able to have their Medicaid programs, to give them waivers so that they are not uh, inadvertently, uh, their tax dollars at the state level are not spent to subsidize abortion uh, in those cases. So previously states, uh, until very recently, uh, didn't have that open waiver so that they, we would you know, sort of allow them openly not to have to spend their tax dollars to subsidize abortion. In other cases, when you look at the Affordable Care Act, you know, we had situations where the insurance companies under the ACA in the previous administration really weren't telling people who were buying these um, insurance policies. They weren't saying, do these insurance policies cover abortion as well? In other words, are your premium dollars going into a pool that is also being used to provide coverage for abortion? Now we're going to make that plain. People who go onto the website are going to say, you can buy a policy that provides it or buy a policy that doesn't. You're going to know ahead of time what that is. And you're going to get us, if people choose to provide, to choose a policy that does that in accordance with the law, and this was the law that was passed, they're going to get a separate bill that says you're going to pay separately for that coverage. Wow. So, That's great. So we're, we're making sure that people aren't having to subsidize or cross-subsidize uh, those, those kinds of things in, the, in there. And that is, and again, in accordance with the law that was passed. Uh, and so we're, again, carrying that out. But that, that's what the intent of the American people is. And I think that that has been very strongly reiterated over and over again uh, in the laws that have been passed out of Congress over the years. Well, Eric, I just want to say thank you again for your incredible leadership. Uh, Deputy Secretary of HHS is an enormous weight to carry on your shoulders, and you are carrying it out. Uh, in such a way that the American people are proud of you. And I, we here on the Freedom Caucus podcast want to take a hat off and say thank you for the incredible leadership that you're providing at HHS. Well, thank you, Congressman, for all your support. Thank you for your leadership on these on these issues, because we couldn't do it without the support of you and the other leaders in, in Congress to help 
you know, we, we have to have those laws and we have to have those, those kind of things for us to carry this out. On behalf Absolutely. Of the people. Well, we're all in this thing together, yeah. and uh, we, we appreciate you taking time to be with us and to be able to bring this kind of information to the American people who I'm sure were not aware uh, of this type of uh, involvement that HHS has on religious liberties and life and a host of other things. Unfortunately, folks, our time has run out. I know that you have thoroughly enjoyed our discussion uh, with Eric today. If you have liked uh, this, I'd encourage you to rate and subscribe, uh, review this program on iTunes or SoundCloud. We always appreciate hearing from you in that regard. As always, you can keep up with us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus and on Twitter at Freedom Caucus. Until next time, hope you have a fantastic remainder of your day. Again, thank you for joining us. Eric, thank you for joining us. Thank have a, remainder, a fantastic remainder of your day, everyone. We'll see you next time.